Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 through 13. You ever listen to some people, when it's raining, they wish the sun was shining. When the sun's shining, it's too hot. They wish it was overcast. The winter's too cold. The summer's too hot. Just there, it seems like no matter what, they're just not happy. Never content. You ever meet those people? I, I've met one or two in my life. Just constantly complaining about everything. But Christian, our life ought to be different. We need to learn contentment. That's the title of the message, Learning Contentment. We are not naturally content. Hence the reason why the passage tells us to learn to be content. So if it's something we need to learn, then that means it's a process, right? It's not going to just happen instantaneously. It's, kind of, it's a learning process of being grateful for what we have and saying, thank you, Lord, for what I have and stop desiring more and stop being ungrateful for what he has provided or has not provided. No matter where we are, or what God has planned for us, we can learn to be content. And so let us read verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so here's how I want us to examine this passage this morning. First, I want to see the source of contentment. The source of contentment. And then secondly, the school of contentment. Because if we're learning it, that means there's going to be some schooling with it, right? Then lastly, our strength for contentment. Christian, you and I need to learn to be content in all situations. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time we can gather. Thank you for this beautiful facility in which we can gather. Lord, I pray just now again, remove distractions. Help us to focus on your word and truly learn contentment in all things. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, how that at last your care of me hath flourished again. So apparently the Philippians had sent a gift to Paul. Remember, he's in jail. He's, this is one of the prison epistles. And they send a gift to him to be an encouragement to him. Now what the gift was, it doesn't matter. Okay? But Paul thanks the Lord for the gift. He says, when we meet the needs of others, we should do it as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 24 through, uh, 22 through 24. Servants obey in all things your masters according to flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as un, unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that the Lord of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord. So when we do things for others, we should not do it for show. We should not do it to get the praise of men, 
but do it for the Lord. And, and Paul was thankful for the Philippians because he realized their giving to him, yes, was an encouragement to Paul, but they're doing it as unto the Lord. And so in all things we do, do you do it as unto the Lord? When you go to work, do you work as unto the Lord? If you are, your boss will be satisfied with the work you do, right? If you're doing your work as unto the work of Christ, your boss will be satisfied with your work. When you're at home, are you leading your home as unto the Lord? When you enjoy your recreation, do you do it as unto the Lord? Because we never stop being a Christian, right? So no matter what you're doing, do all to the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But we should give God the glory for what he provides. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above that cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, there is no shadow of turning. Now, sometimes God uses others to meet needs. Again, I don't know what the gift is that they sent him. Maybe some kind of care package. Maybe Paul had a need of some specific thing, and they sent it to him. But he was grateful for what they did. Not because he wanted something. He says that. But I rejoiced, again, verse 10, in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me flourished again, wherein you were careful but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. He says, not that I was sitting there desiring something. I try to be careful expressing things that I may want because I don't ever want it to sound like I'm trying to get a pity party of, hey, get me this. And I don't believe Paul was that way either because Paul was content with what he had. But let's look at what his real reason was. Verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Folks, when we give as unto the Lord, <clears throat> yes, somebody benefits from our giving. But when people give me, I, I need to realize it's not about the gift. It's not about my wants or desires. It's about fruit to your account right? As we give, God is going to reward for being faithful and doing what he's uh, commanded us to do. But he says, the care, your care of me hath flourished again. The idea of flourished has the idea of revived as trees sprout in the spring. You know, right now, well, the evergreens always stay green, but the other trees have lost their leaves. They are resting right now. But come spring, Everybody's allergies will be all irritated. Why? Because all the trees are going to start sprouting. And, but it's beautiful, isn't it? When they start turning green again and everything starts flourishing. Well, Paul, that's the same idea what Paul is saying. Is it really revive me? When, because you guys care enough to send this gift. It really just brought him joy and strength and encouragement. And you and I can be an encouragement to others by learning to give. You see, when you and I come to church, we need not come with the attitude of what can I get, but how can I serve, or what can I give? And I promise you, if you want to be blessed coming to church, don't come in thinking, all right, bless me. All right, what's in this for me? 
By the way, that is unfortunately the attitude of many Christian Americans today. I have had people walk in, families come here. Well, what programs do you have for our children? Well, we are a small church. We have had a youth group before, but we don't have anybody right now to be able to have a youth group. We have had children's Sunday schools, and we do still when we have children here, but we don't have a regular program because, well, we don't have the kids for it. Oh, well, we might go look for another church. Now, I have had a few over the years that said, well, then how about we consider joining here and helping you with that? I like that attitude. That's one that says, hey, what can I do to give? But so many are shopping for what do you have available for me and my family? Oh, you don't have what we need? We're going to go somewhere else. May I say that is the wrong criteria upon which to find a church. First and foremost, first and foremost should be, is this church preaching the Word of God? Because if they're not, I don't care what programs they got, I don't care how much they're going to entertain your children, if preaching the Word of God is not primary, you're not going to grow in that church period. You need a church that's not going to compromise on standards. You need a church that's going to uphold the Word of God, a church that is desiring to win the lost, a church that is discipling people. These are the things that you should be looking for not what programs can the church give me. By the way, I, would oft, I often think, what would men like the Apostle Paul think of the modern church system, if you will, where everything is program-driven and not Christ-centered? Because let me tell you something about programs. You can hit the start button and everything can function just right, and all the programs can work just right, but unless there's, not, unless there's the power of God in it, everything that's done is worthless. And the things that used to matter in church services, reading the scripture, praying, seeking God. You know, many preachers of old time, Spurgeon being one of them, had men that would be in the basement praying during the church service. I was at a church where the pastor uh, practiced that. We, 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 several of us men, not all of us, not every time, but about once a month, a different group of men would go to a separate room and we would pray as he's preaching. You know why? Because we wanted the power of God on that service. And let me tell you something, that church changed during that time. Now, our guys, unfortunately, are missing enough services. I've thought about doing it here but maybe we should because, you know, it's the power of God and the service is what's important, is it not? It's not about programs. It's not about entertainment. It's about preaching the Word. So come to the church with the attitude of not what can I get, but what can I give. And I promise you will relieve being blessed. Because serving others always brings a blessing. Does it not? Acts 20, verse 35, And I showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, who said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. But Paul says also, he says uh, near the end of verse 10, Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. He knew that they had taken great care in sending him whatever this gift is. And so, I don't know what the gift was, 
But the truth is, is Paul was thankful for it because he realized the sacrifice others had made for him. Remember, the church of Philippi was not a rich church. He refers to them when he's writing to the Corinthians as the poor Macedonians. This was a poor church. And yet they take and sacrifice to give to him. Our selfishness really manifests itself during Christmas time. I worked retail for 14 years. I hated, during those 14 years, the closer we got to Christmas. I would see couples walking through the store. I don't know. He's your uncle. Just buy something. And I'm sitting there thinking, why do you do this to yourselves? The gift exchange has so lost its meaning. And then people who, if you give them a practical gift, well, that's not a real Christmas gift. They get mad about it. Or heaven forbid, should you make a homemade gift? My brother made me a homemade, handmade cutting board out of cherry, walnut, and some African redwood. Beautiful. And you know what? I'm, I'm half tempted never to use it, although he wants me to. And he made it at like an inch and a half thick so that, I mean, there's plenty on there that if you cut into it, you can sand it and refinish it and keep going. Beautiful cutting board. I know people, if they had received a handmade gift like that, would be like, oh, that's it? I'll tell you right now, if you've ever worked with wood, you know there was hours went into making that thing. My point being this, when somebody gives you a gift, understand they cared enough about you, thought about you, sacrificed whatever it was to get that for you. And if it's handmade, means they didn't just sacrifice money, they sacrificed their time because they care enough about you to do something for you. So instead of the arrogant attitude that so much of our world has of that's it or that's the, that's the gift I'm going to get, you know, my, I grew up in a very practical family. And I think I told you my brother with his first wife, he didn't know and he bought her practical gifts like things for the kitchen they needed. And I'm not talking junk either. I'm talking like a nice KitchenAid or something like that. It's just a gift for the kitchen. Where's my Christmas gift? What about me? They're no longer married, but anyhow, moving on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think when I bought Susan the iron and the ironing board for Christmas, that was a great nog. Didn't I didn't. I'm joking. I'm kidding. <laughs> I did not do that. However, you know what? She is the type of lady that had I done that and she needed a new iron and ironing board, she would greatly appreciate it. She'd be like, thank you. Because she's also the type of lady, and, and I try to buy her nice things, but if I were to want to go buy just trinkets just because it's Christmas, she'd get mad at me for wasting our money. <laughs> so, you know, there is a difference in thinking, right? I have received gifts over the years that I know is a great sacrifice for the one given. Let me tell you something. It's a humbling thing. But take it understanding they're giving as unto the Lord. But he says, you were careful to want to give this gift, much care put into it, but you lacked opportunity. He knew that they lacked opportunity. They may have had, they may have not had a messenger going to Rome. Maybe they didn't have the money at the time. I don't know what it was. But they lacked the opportunity to be able to give this gift to him. So they eventually got whatever they were going to give and, and send it his way. Folks, God has blessed us as Americans we are a very rich people. Most of us have opportunities to give. Are we looking for the opportunities to be a blessing to others? But Paul realized 
the source of contentment was God. The gift was refreshing. I remember when I was in Africa, we had a... So I was with VMGR 252, and we were over there doing humanitarian stuff. Um, Basically, all these little countries would be fighting with each other, and then we would have to be on standby in case we had to evacuate the Americans out, which actually, a time or two, we actually did have to fly into the hostile country and pull out the Americans, and that's a great, exciting time. Uh, because everybody you're loading on the plane is either a Christian missionary family or Peace Corps. And you want to talk night and day. This is no lie. We, we were loading a plane one time, and, you know, these Peace Corps, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be stereotypical, but it's the way most every one of them was. Like, dude, this thing's really cool, man. Sit down, shut up, buckle up. We got to get out of here, you know, because, I mean, it's a hostile environment. They don't even realize how hostile it is. And the Christian families, you know, they're just listening and they're obeying, you know, they're following the orders. They're sitting there. They're scared stiff, you know. Dude, like this plane's cool, man. Yeah, okay. And you're high as a kite. Sit down, strap in. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. We pulled them out of Central African Republic, got them to Cameroon. I'm telling this story because <clears throat> it's just neat how God works. Years later, I'm sitting in Ambassador Baptist College, and John Godfrey, who was a missionary to Central African Republic, is telling about how he had to leave the country because of a hostile takeover in country, and how they got onto the, um, how the Marines had gotten them to the embassy, and then got them to the airport, and they loaded them on the C-130, and they flew out of country and everything else. And I went to him after class, and I was like, I was on that aircraft that day. He goes, really? I was like, yep. So it's just neat that I got the meet him again. That was a blessing of God. But anyhow, while I was over there, we had to have another plane come over because of the operations and whatnot. And so we all knew that a plane was leaving Cherry Point. So I called Susan and said, hey, the plane's leaving Cherry Point to come over here. So she got together a care package and and so did all, all the rest of the squadron was deployed. We all called our spouses and whatnot and said, hey, you know, if you want to send a care package, now be a great time. Well, if you know anything about the way they treat the gear, Charlie knows very full well how the gear is treated, and <clears throat> all the different stops that have to be made between Cherry Point and the middle of Africa, I get this box that's crumbled and crushed and twisted and barely legible. Hey, Doc, I think this is yours. And they throw it at me, and everything inside is like crush, 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 crumble. I open it up, and it was... Uh, crumbled cookies, and a million little pieces. (laughs) And I'm like, but exactly. It was, you know what? It was the best thing because my wife cared enough to send a package to me. And of course, you know, you you share with those around you and whatnot. So she made sure it was a nice big package, had plenty of cookies in it, and we're all enjoying our cookie crumbs. Unless you've been there, you don't know what that means. Because it's something from home. Yes, yeah, just crumbs. But she cared enough to put together something for me and send it there. That care package meant a lot. Actually, one time when I was, we were waiting to go in country, she sent me one while we were in uh, Rhoda. <clears throat> and that one, because it was going to be a little more secure than the cookie crumb one, <laughs> this will tell you how long ago it was, she did a recording of her playing the piano. And then did a recording of 
Shannon was a baby, but she was cooing, and she recorded that for me. Put it on a cassette tape and put in a tape recorder, and I listened to that for hours. It was refreshing. Can you imagine how this was for the Apostle Paul? A church that he labored and starting, saying, how can we be an encouragement to Paul? I'd like to say, I know what that feels like because of those care packages. Excuse me, I got when I was in the Navy. But the gift was temporary. But can you imagine the contentment that gave Paul? This church is still thriving. This church is still going. This church still loves God. You see, it wasn't about Paul. But by their gift, Paul could rejoice in what God was doing at that church. Do you understand? Which brings us to the school of contentment. Not that I speak in, in respect of want. You know, Paul didn't go around telling everybody all his needs. As a matter of fact, we find in his different journeys that at times he would go back to the trade that he knew, which was tent making, in order to provide for himself. Paul wasn't one of these guys that every time he had a need had to cry out, oh, I wish somebody would help me with this. Again, I'm not trying to pick, okay? But I have seen sometimes missionaries and evangelists and whatnot that every time there's a need, oh, just pray with me on this matter, hoping that people will send them money. You know, George Mueller ran those orphanages in England and never asked a man for a dime. But he was on his knees asking God, and God provided through numerous people for the needs of those orphans. And we're not talking just once. Because I think I shared with you before the story being told of how they, he sat the orphans down for breakfast, had nothing there. But he had prayed to God and he told God, you know these orphans need to eat. So he thanks God for what they're about to have which he has nothing, but as he's praying, the knock on the door, and the milk cart broke down outside, and I forget what else broke down outside, but all of a sudden, he had everything he needed to feed these kids. Now, don't you think it was God who stopped that wagon right outside the door of the orphanage so that the food would be provided for him? Absolutely, you know it was. And he never asked a man for it. But the milkman knew, my cart's broken down, this is back before the days of refrigeration. This milk's not going to last long. I got to get rid of it. There's an orphanage. I bet you George could use it. We will not learn to be content until we realize God always provides and he always has our best in mind. So contentment is learned. He says, For I have learned in whatsoever state I am in, therewith to be content. Content has the idea of satisfied. Not self-sufficiency, but recognition of God's sufficiency. Contentment is not self-sufficiency, but recognition of God's sufficiency. That's important, because the ones that think that they're self-sufficient truly are never satisfied. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Now, human nature tends to be impatient. If you are like I am, you can stand in front of a microwave oven and tell it to hurry up. God is teaching me patience. 
I'm not going to say I have learned patience, but I will say this. At almost 50, I am more patient than what I was at 20. I think Susan can attest to that. But learned has the idea of learned from experience. So Paul says, I learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. So then, by that way he wrote that, that means there was a time when Paul did not know how to be content in every state. He had to learn it. And so do you and I. What do I mean by that? Well, pastor, you just don't understand this the way I am. I'll never change. No, the power of God can change you in the same way it changed the Apostle Paul. He learned, and no matter what state he was in, to be content and satisfied in Jesus Christ. As we covered Wednesday night, the question of, I know I'm supposed to be satisfied in Christ, but how? Part of that is learning contentment in all things. Now, it may be a lesson which we slowly learn, Barnes put it this way. He said, It is a lesson which we slowly learn not to murmur at the allotments of providence. I thought that was a good way to put it. It's a lesson we slowly learn. Don't murmur at the allotments of providence. But Paul says, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Now that sounds kind of awkward because, well, of course you know how to abound. You know, there are those that have all the world's goods but still are not satisfied. Some of the richest people that have ever walked this planet were not satisfied. They still weren't content. It is said of Rockefeller when he was asked, how much more money do you need before you contend? He says, just a little bit more. Really? Just a little bit more. It, so we need to learn to be content in abounding as much as in being abased not having. And again, I say from experience, been in, being in, having been in third world countries, even with the inflation we are experiencing, even with the tightening of the belt that some Americans are having to feel, we are still extremely rich in our country. But in case you don't think Paul had trials to go through, let's look at a little reminder, if you would, please hold your place here in Philippians and let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is starting in verse 23. Paul writes, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, and labor is more abundant, and stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, and deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I, forty stripes save one. Five times received a Jewish beating. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own country, and in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils in the false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, Paul says in another passage, he goes, we suffer but light afflictions. Would you consider these light afflictions? I've been beaten, I've been shipwrecked, I've been in all kinds of perils. And yet he can say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Christians, how quick are we to murmur? How quick are we to murmur? Oh, it's cold out today. Oh, 
I couldn't do what I wanted to do because, boy, when I went grocery shopping, the prices of everything was so high, and now I'm just going to have to cut back and blah, 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 blah. Well, how about be content? How about learn to be content? Because, you know, the last time I checked, I know most of your stories here, none of you have been beaten five times with a Jewish beating. I don't think anybody in this room has been beaten once with a Jewish beating. I don't think anybody in this room, to the best of my knowledge, has been shipwrecked. Paul was three times. Don't get on a ship with Paul, by the way. <laughs> I don't think anybody in this room has ever been stoned. Paul was and left for dead, because that's the purpose of stoning, by the way. Thrice was he beaten with rods. We live in a very wimpy society as 21st century Americans. Because we tend to think when somebody looks at us cross-eyed or somebody calls us a Jesus freak that we've been persecuted. No, we haven't. And let's stop worrying what the world is going to say about us, but let's be bold in our witness for Christ. Now, I'm talking to myself as much as I am you all. You know, I used to be very faithful in carrying tracts with me and handing them out. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie to you folks, okay? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I, I, I have areas in which I need to improve and grow. And this is an area that I've recommitted to Christ I need to be a more faithful witness to. I need to start carrying more tracts. I need to be bolder in my witness for Christ. I used to do a much better job, which means I've backslidden in the area. I'm admitting it to you, not because we believe in like Catholic confession, but I'm admitting it to you because I want it not to be discouraging to you, but to be an encouragement. Look, we all need to grow. I'm never going to stand up here and pretend to be Mr. Perfect and have arrived because I've not. What I'm asking you is consider your own heart. What areas do you need to grow? What areas does God convicting you? It may not be the same, but the truth is, is every one of us has an area where God is showing us this is an area where you need to work on. And this is an area I personally need to do better. Contentment is learned. Paul had learned to be content no matter the circumstances. Trials will come. Verse 12 says he learned how to be abased or humiliated. I would think it's safe to say when we read that list in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul understood what it means to be humiliated, don't you? But be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, you know, we often quote the last part of that verse. He will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is the reason for us to be content. That is the reason for us to be satisfied is the fact that he has promised he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And so when Paul was beaten, when Paul was shipwrecked, he could still rejoice. He could still be satisfied. He could still be content in Jesus Christ because he realized nothing in my life happens unless God allows it. He's still in control. Things do not bring contentment. Every time the new widget comes out, people camp out at the store for two, three days to get the new widget because this is going to make me happy. But it doesn't because guess what happens a year later when the new latest greatest widget comes out? Well, they got to camp out at the store all over again to go get the new latest greatest. 
Things will never make you happy. But godliness with contentment is great gain, as we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And then it continues, For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Listen, there are times I'm tempted to want to say, Boy, it would be nice to have. Boy, it'd be nice to have. But then I got to realize godliness with contentment is great gain. Having food and raiment, be content. I have not been starving lately. Does it show? I have nice clothes on. Matter of fact, I think this particular suit my wife found at a thrift store. Is this one of the thrift store ones? Yeah. So she bought the suit for little or nothing. Took it over to Perla's, had her alter it so it fit me better. And pow, another suit. It's clothes. Doesn't have to have name brand, name tags all over. By the way, go to the right thrift stores and people will have turned it in with the tag still on it. They never wore it. Or they might have worn it once. But anyhow, it's still new. And then lastly, and our time's almost up, so I'll move quickly. Strength for contentment, verse 13. Very familiar verse. I can do all things. Through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Our source for contentment is God, and so is our strength. But you need to focus on Him. We can be content no matter the circumstances in the strength of Christ. Because I can do some things through Christ. I can do most things. No, I can do all things. But He says in John 15, without me you can do what? But through Christ we can do what? All things. So let's remember then, my strength is not in me, my strength is in Christ. Because without him I can do nothing, but with him I can do all things. Through him I can do all things. So not only being abased and abounding, but any trial, circumstance, need, or anything required to do the will of God is possible. Do not rely on our own strength, but live in the strength of Christ. Or rather, Christ living in me. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ living in me. Are we learning contentment? We realize, first of all, God is our source of contentment. Sometimes he has to take us through the school of contentment, which means we need to learn both how to be abased and how to abound. So that means the trials of life will come. But he's trying to teach us during those times. Be content in me. Be content in me. And we find our strength to do so in Christ. How could Paul, after he was stoned and left for dead, get up? And still serve Christ because Paul wasn't living in the strength of Paul. Paul was living in the strength of Christ. How could Paul, after he was shipwrecked, go and preach the gospel to the people of the island where he was landed? Because he didn't go in the strength of Paul, he went in the strength of Christ. And so you and I can learn contentment and to live life not in our own strength, but in the strength of Jesus Christ. So let us learn contentment.